0: Hi again. It's good to see you. I am excited to preach today, and I have to confess, I'm also a little nervous. I haven't preached in months, and I'm like, can I still do this? So, we'll see. Uh, have, have mercy on me if, if I can't. Um, but I, I particularly love preaching Advent sermons in the Advent season because I feel like both it is exactly what we need and also exactly what we don't have at a time like this often there's so much going on around holidays and the holiday season between Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's that it can kind of get really busy as you know I work in higher ed and in our world really the middle of November all the way to the end of the semester the academic semester it's just crazy right you're just it, by the end of uh, by the middle of November it just feels like it's the end of the year and the semester but it's not but every day feels like it is. And that's kind of like the energy that you kind of bring with you this last six weeks of the year. And interestingly, it is also maybe the opposite of the energy that Advent and lighting the Wreath would actually bring for us or give us. The season of Advent is a season of waiting in anticipation. The season of Advent is a season of reflecting. The season of Advent is a season of pausing. And considering what we have and waiting for our king to be born. The season of Advent is a moment in which we pause. And I think maybe a season that we need quite a bit in this time as we get so busy. I experienced something, something similar to this earlier this semester. I, I, I think it's semester. So earlier this semester, earlier this year. This idea of waiting and this idea of like, are we there yet? But not really, but are we there yet? As, as you know, mom has early onset dementia, and earlier this fall, she was, she was uh, coming up to visit us. She was supposed to be here for much longer, but she was only here for a month. Regardless, she was coming up, and, and mom, two years ago, she lost all idea of temporalness. She just doesn't understand five minutes, ten minutes, three hours, four years. It doesn't matter to her right like it's she just lives in the present moment which is almost such a gift so mom was gonna come with us and mom didn't realize this but it was a three-flight trip and it was gonna be a total of 18 hours worth of travel from Chihuahua Mexico to Portland Maine Um, and mom without having the ability to kind of think in terms of minutes and hours like this we get dropped off at the at the airport and we go through security and you know it probably was a long while, and it feels like an eternity, my least favorite part of going to the airport. And we finally go to the airport, and I have this tradition where, like, my family knows this. I like to go to the gate where we're supposed to be departing and make sure the gate exists. And then I can go around and go use the restroom or get water or get whatever, you know, food. But I need to make sure that gate number five is, in fact, a gate, and that it says, you know, Atlanta or wherever it is. we're So we do that. It's, it's reasonable, right? Everyone does that, yeah. If you don't do it, you're weird. <laughs> and we, we go to the game, and then it was you know full of people. And so we're looking for like a living room area to sit. Um, Mom also has a hard time walking, so we just need to sit. So we finally sit, and she's just happy. And she looks around, and she goes, is this your living room for your, for your house? This is beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, Mom, we, we haven't left town yet. <laughs> She's like, is it, we haven't, we're not there yet. I was like, no, we're not there yet. We haven't even started. So we get into the airplane and we make it to Atlanta. And same thing, we sit down and I sort of got, she goes, is this your living room? I'm like, no, nope, mom, we haven't made it yet. She's like, we haven't made it yet. Mike, nope, another flight still. And then we finally get to Portland airport and she's like, this is your house. I was like, no, nope, this is the airport. We're not there yet. And the whole time she kept asking, are we there yet? You know, very much like our kids do when you take road trips. And so finally, you know, you get to Portland and there's still a 30 minute drive from Portland up to, to, to Brunswick and, and we get to the house and I swear to God, my wife is my witness, she was there. Mom walks into the house and she goes, is this it? <laughs> Where's the rest of your house? <laughs> and so I was like, "Yep, mom, this is, this is it. There is, no, there is no rest of the house. This, this is it. Um, yeah, the, the adventures of traveling with Alma, she, well, I guess if you're thinking that airport living rooms are your, your son's living room, right, by the time that you get to my 1100 square foot cape home here in Brunswick, it was just really underwhelming to her, and that is, this It will forever be seared in my memory as a, as a core memory of, of my mother. Um, um, Mom was experiencing this, this hopeful anticipation. This, are we there yet? This idea of like, oh, we, we're sitting down, so we must be there, right? The, no, not yet. Oh, okay, okay. Well, now we're sitting down, and we just had dinner at uh, Atlanta Airport. Now we must be there yet, right? No, oh, well, we have arrived, and it's cold, and we have our coats on, because it's Brunswick and Portland, we must be there yet, right? No, not yet. And then she arrives, and she's like, are we there, like is this it, is is this all it is? And and I think so much of Advent is exactly that for us, and in fact so much of the gospel story is also that. Is this constant asking, are you it? Are we there yet? Is this the kingdom of God yet? And then often it is us having wrong expectations of what the kingdom of God is or should be. And then we're saying, no, this isn't it. Where's the rest of it? This happened a lot in the time of Jesus, actually. Right around this time, there had been this, this, almost this silence and not a whole lot of prophets were speaking on behalf of God in what we call the intertestamental period. So there was actually a lot of people that were racing up and they were saying, oh, I'm going to be the leader. I am the Messiah. And the people would actually get really excited and they would be like, is, is this it? Is this the guy that's going to bring liberation to us? Remember the people of Israel at this time, they had been conquered by Rome. And Rome was entirely in possession of all the things that mattered in Jerusalem and in Israel. There was Roman soldiers everywhere They were being taxed with Roman law. The Romans had built a huge tower right next to the temple so that they could actually watch down on the people inside the courts and keep track of them to make sure that they were not getting too crazy and too rowdy in there. Rome was present in their governorship and their money It was present in the language the people were speaking, and in fact, many of them, especially the richer among them, they have become not only Jewish citizens, but also Roman citizens. So any time that anyone was just coming along and saying, I am going to bring liberation and freedom for this, my people, they immediately would start asking, is this it? Is this the Messiah? Is this the person that we have been waiting for? And this happened politically, and we know this in the history books. There were several revolts in, in, in the Jerusalem time. This happened religiously. There were several uh, prophets or, or, or teachers who proclaimed to be the Messiah, and then they weren't. And this happened also socially. People that would just gather together in these communities, and they would try to live out the last of days. The Essenes, for instance, who went out to the, to the, the Dead Sea and, and had this apocalyptic... Uh, communities that they, that they would build. So, all of these things are happening with, with around the time of Jesus, and then Jesus chose up. And there's this awaiting and hopeful anticipation. Are we there? Is this it? Is he going to be our one Messiah? He just turned water into wine. He's making miracles. It must be him, right? Is it? He's hanging out with those who are maybe not making the best life choices. Is he, is, is he going to be it? He's a great teacher. He's debating with those who are teachers of the law in the temple, but also hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Is, are we there yet? Is this what the kingdom of God looks like? Is this it? There's this constant anticipation and constant waiting And then in the middle of all of this, as Jesus is starting his ministry, he gets up in the synagogue and he preaches from this passage in Isaiah. And it's almost as if Jesus was to recalibrate and calibrate for his followers and for the people following his way to say before you set up expectations of what the coming kingdom and the rulership of God among you and within you is going to look like or feel like, or be like, let me read to you what God has said for this kingdom and this covenant from long, long time ago. So he gets up in the synagogue and he says, the Spirit of God is upon me and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Not to the important people. Not to the rulers. Not to the teachers. Not to the middle class even, right? Jesus says, God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. One of the very first messages that Jesus is preaching to his group of people that are going to later become the people of the way or even Christians later on is that Jesus and and God has come to comfort those whose hearts are broken. That is foundational to the message of the way of Jesus. That he has come to bring good news to the poor. And he has come to comfort the brokenhearted. That he says to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. And I think one of the things that's so important for us to, to, to know and to understand is that we can so often think of... Of our story and our relationship to a story with Christianity because we already know the ending, we know how it ends, that we can so quickly just kind of go through the pages and and, and situate ourselves to the end. But for them in this very time, they did not know the ending, they did not know what was going on. All they knew is that they constantly were asking themselves, is this it? Is this what the kingdom of God is going to look like? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's going to be our liberator? Is this the one who's going to set us free from the oppression of Rome? And that oppression was real. It was affecting their finances. It was affecting their politics. It was affecting their spirituality. It was affecting their families. This was real, so they were rightfully expecting a king and a liberator that would break them free from Rome. And Jesus gets up there, and he doesn't speak about Rome. He doesn't speak about that oppression that they have. He goes deeper than that. And in fact, we know that at the end of Jesus' ministry, once he, is, he dies, is crucified, and resurrects, Rome is still around. Rome never left. In fact, if you, if you fast forward through history all the way to 70, 70 AD, Rome destroys Jerusalem altogether. And the temple that they have built, the Herodian temple, gets completely sacked and destroyed. And to this day, that temple has not been built again. And that happened at the hands of Rome. The ideas that the people had for freedom and success and following God's way were very, very different than the ideas that Jesus came to present to them. And I wonder how many of them said, Is this it? Where's the rest of your house? Where's the rest of the kingdom? Where's the, rest, where's the other side of the gospel message? Where's the part where I stop suffering? Where's the part where I no longer feel the oppression? Where's the part where all my enemies have completely disappeared and I no longer have to worry about it? Where's that part? And Jesus is saying, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against the enemies. The message of the kingdom of God and the message of joy for us in this time of Advent, of anticipation, of waiting, is that God is near to those who are brokenhearted. God is near to those who are grieving. God is near to those who see the current situation in our, in our, in our world, in our country, in our town, maybe even within ourselves. And God is winding up hearts that are broken. And I love this image of, obviously, an autom- not anatomical hearts, but like a-, a broken soul, a broken identity, someone who's, who has gone through so much pain and grief and, and, and hurt that their own body, their soul, their identity has come down and shattered into pieces. And Jesus says, I have come to grab." All of those pieces and bind them together and keep them together because God is near to the brokenhearted, God is near to those who mourn. This reminds me so much of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful. Verse 3 says, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes and joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, we've been talking about this for for many months, right? Over over the last few uh, months with um, Patty's sermons and, and even before, this idea of righteousness, that it is not just right belief, but also right action. This idea of acting in righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for God's own glory. Our righteous deeds and our right behavior and following God's God's will for us, it's just like being a big, deep tree that's rooted into the ground. And I love the image of the wind that comes and these these big oaks, they sway, but they're there. And then the rain comes and they're completely soaked (coughs) and they don't despair. And then the sunny day day comes and, and the drought comes and they're there. And seasons come and they lose the leaves and they keep on growing and they keep on changing. Sometimes we have had this idea that following the way of Jesus means that we're not going to suffer days of rain and storm and snow and drought. But that's not God's promise for us. God's promise for us is that in times of storm and drought and snow, that God is near to you. And that He's watching over you. And he's binding your heart when it is completely torn apart and into pieces. That God is near to you and with you when you're mourning and grieving. When the situation just looks so bleak and so hard, God is with you to give you peace and to transform your grieving, your ashes. To transform it for a crown of praise and worship. Verse 8 says, For I the Lord, I love justice. Again, we get back this idea that to follow the way of Jesus is to do the right thing. You cannot both be walking after the way of Jesus and be involved in injustices. The work of justice is the work of Jesus and following the way of Jesus. I hate robbery and I hate wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people, again, here's the word, for their suffering. The message of Jesus is a message for those who are suffering. Of which all of us are quite acquainted with. At one level or another. And I, I've said this before, but sometimes I feel like this is one of the hardest things to sell. Here, let's follow Jesus and let's follow His way of suffering. <coughs> that, that doesn't sell, right? That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't, you don't see that in t-shirts. <coughs> but that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering. And I love this, this part. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And that is our covenant and our promise. That is the covenant of Christmas. That is the reason why we wait with so much anticipation. It is this covenant that will last forever. this promise, this contract. Their descendants, they will be recognized and honored among the nations. And everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Notice that it does not say, I am overwhelmed with joy because all my tribulations are gone. I am overwhelmed with joy because I no longer fear any pain, I don't have any struggles. Doesn't say that he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels the sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world everyone will praise him and his righteousness will be like a garden in early spring And we know that, right? As soon as the snow starts melting from our gardens, we start seeing these plants just springing up and reminding us that winter is about to end and spring rejuvenation, (coughs) resurrection is coming. So our challenge for us this morning is both to wait with anticipation the coming of God To wait the return of Jesus. To wait for the full kingdom to be in us and within us and in our midst. But also to align ourselves and calibrate ourselves so that when it's there and when we see it, we're not asking ourselves, is this it? Where is the rest of the kingdom? Where is the part that I am looking for? Where is the part that I was hoping for? In so many ways, the message of Advent and Christmas is really a message for us to recalibrate our expectations of the work of God amongst the people of God. And they, and they are that when God wanted to speak with God's people, God did it in the form of a young woman who was utterly poor, a lonely couple who did not have family or friends around them. And in there, in that Christmas scene, that's the hope of the world. And humility. And defenselessness. And a child. Not a mighty king. One day, but not at that moment. Not a mighty ruler. Not a wise preacher. Just a defenseless child. The message of Christmas and the hope and the joy for us is that we're not waiting for might. We don't have to be the strongest person in the room. We don't have to be a warrior. God is with us right now. He came, John 1 says, He came to make His tent among us, His tabernacle among us. God is our Emmanuel. God is within us. God is here with us. God is for us. He has come to give hope to the brokenhearted and to heal those who are grieving. So will you join me in thinking of how this message transforms our grief into joy and our pain into joy and our expectations into joy because his kingdom is coming. His rulership is coming. His kingdom is here right now. And His call and His invitation for us is that we might walk into it right now. And we might be the kind of people that are so comfortable in His kingdom right now that when the fullness of the kingdom arrives, we're not asking, is this it? Where is the other part of the kingdom? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this message of hope. We thank you that you have been anointed to bring good news to the poor. The literal poor and the poor in spirit. For any of us who maybe this season we are not feeling like we have it all together. For any of us who are feeling like there's so much going on in the world that just things don't make sense. For any of us for whom our faith is not always making sense. Thank you because you are bringing us good news. Of an everlasting covenant. Of a God that says yes to us. A God that says I love you. And a God that says I am seeking for you. God we thank you that you have come to bring good news to those who are broken hearted. And to bind up our hearts. For any of my brothers and sisters who today are suffering and whose hearts are entirely shattered. Would your love bind it up together? Will you be like rope around them and hold them together with your grace and your presence and your peace? Father, may we be a people that are ready to be in the kingdom now. Let us not be surprised when we see what your kingdom is about. That your kingdom is about peace and love and mercy and justice. Let us be a people that are hungry for justice. To do the right thing and to follow you. So in this season of Advent, may we get ready to welcome this newborn king. May we readjust our expectations. May we trust in you. And what you have in store.